1 Samuel. Today, chapter 29 and a first little part of chapter 30. We're going to the end of verse 6. Last couple of weeks, we, um, we had a big chunk of text that we tried to work through. Maybe a little too much. Today is much shorter. But before we dive into 1 Samuel chapter 29, I think it's important to highlight a couple of things, kind of getting our, our bearings, I guess you could say. I've entitled my sermon, Oh Please Lord, Let It Rain. And it's not so much a title as it is a prayer. Oh please Lord, let it rain. Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist begins the entire wonderful Psalter with this idea, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law, on his word, on his instruction, on the scriptures. He not only delights in it, but he meditates on it. He chews on it. He thinks about it. He or she considers it on a regular basis. And such a person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a beautiful text. I say that because as we've been going through 1 Samuel, I hope that you're not just reading the text and going, that's a cool story, and then forgetting it. But my prayer is that as, you're, as we are going through it and as you are looking at it during the week, that you're thinking about it and going, I wonder why God had this story recorded. I wonder why He included this particular phrase or or why he 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 added or made sure that we understood what david said here or saul said here and why he didn't say other certain things i've been blessed as i've been going through first samuel because it seems like every week i see something different and something new we're called to meditate upon it and delight in it it's my prayer that today and in the days to come, we as a church will become like that individual who's planted by streams of water. I want to draw your attention before we actually start reading 1 Samuel 29. I want us to notice in chapter 28, we read this last week, but verse 3, there's a little phrase. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Short little blurb that the narrator just throws in. It seems like it's in the oddest of places. It's because we just finished the story of David. Here's a story, a short little sentence about Samuel, and then we're going to get into that crazy story of Saul meeting the medium. But what's interesting, that's the second time that verse is stated. 
In chapter 25, verse 1, we already read that. Listen to this. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Samuel is a, an important character. Yesterday there was a wedding. Anybody know who got married? Some, some British guy, yeah, and some American, right? Like, this was big news. There was a huge fire in Brandon. David told me about it last night. I, I thought, you know, I should go read about it. So I started looking for it, and I literally had to scroll through multitudes of stories about this wedding before I could finally find the story about this fire. It's a big deal. It's a royal, a royal wedding. Samuel's a big deal. And his death, you would think, all of Israel has come together, and all the narrator says to us in one sentence, he died, Israel mourned. I think it's, an, it's a literary effect. It, 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 there's a, a brevity to it, and he repeats it twice because he wants to draw our attention that this is important. Why is it important? You might recall that when we started in 1 Samuel, we started in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read these words, now the boy Samuel, he was still a boy, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The end of the chapter, after this boy named Samuel has a, has a conversation with God, God speaks to him. We read these words. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And you get this picture, Samuel, and he's speaking to all of Israel. And all of Israel hears about the word of the Lord. Listen. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and they encamped at Ebenezer. And the word of the Lord came to all of Israel. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. I think it's fascinating. The buried in the text of chapter 27, 28, and 29 where, where God is, as we saw last week, is absent. The death of Samuel is recorded. And it's almost as if the narrator is telling us that Samuel dies and so does the word of the Lord. Now, not completely, not really. But the entire verses of chapter 27, 28, and 29 is just this incredible low point in the, point in the history of Israel. And so last week we looked at chapter 27 and we said, it's intriguing, but in 27, not once was the Lord, Yahweh, the Hebrew word, or God, 
Elohim, the Hebrew word, mentioned in chapter 27, which is incredibly odd in the book of 1 Samuel. Every story covers and mentions his name, but chapter 27, it's absent. Chapter 28, we get to chapter 28, and there, there you have his name is mentioned, but you have Saul who can't hear from the word, from the Lord. And then we get to chapter 29, and, we, and we're back in the life of David, and he's still in the land of the Philistines. And, and the name of the Lord and the name of God is not mentioned except from the lips of the enemies of Israel. And we're going to see that today. And I think our author wants us to notice something. That God's Word in some way died when Samuel died. These were sad, these were sad days. Many of you have probably heard the idea that, that every great revival is preceded by intense prayer or something to that effect. This morning, I was reading a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher from the past from Wales in, in, um, in Britain. And he says, every revival was preceded by the preached Word of God. Now, he was not negating prayer, but he was saying in order for God to be revealed, the Word of God has to be proclaimed. That's what Romans 10 tells us. And that's what Isaiah 55 tells us. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah paints this incredibly beautiful picture that the word of God is like rain that falls from the sky. It causes life. When Samuel heard from God and then he went out and proclaimed the word of God, life came to the nation of Israel. And now with Samuel's death, it almost seems that, that, that the nation of Israel is at its low point. And not only was it at a low point for Saul, but it was at a low point for David. And it was at a low point for the nation of Israel. Once again, they were in the grips of their great enemy, the Philistines. The implications of that is immense for us. But before we dive into that, let's begin by reading 1 Samuel chapter 29. The long-winded preachers finally got to the text. 1 Samuel 29, starting at verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter and then take a break, pray, and dig into it. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphex. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, 
And David and his men were passing in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And and Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who who has been with me now for days and years? And, And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and, in, and march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me this day. Nevertheless, the Lord do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of, of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with me with us to this battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Let's pray. Lord, we've uh, titled this message, Please Rain Down Upon Us. And I ask that you would do that. That Elroy would be out of the way and your spirit would move and speak. In your name I pray. Amen. Chapter 29 is really carrying on the story that we see in chapter 27 and ends at chapter 28, verse 2. We looked at that last week. It's actually going back in time from chapter 28 where it's talking about Saul meeting this uh, medium. We're actually now going back. We were left with a cliffhanger last week, if you recall. David, who after running from King Saul on and on and on, we're told in chapter 27 verse 1, said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And so, so David, with his 600 men and their wives and their children, flee to the land of the Philistines, the enemy. And we're told while David was there, he was given a city named Ziglag, which was really the, the city that belonged to Judah way back in the days of Joshua. 
The Philistines had controlled it, and so the Philistines were simply giving to David what God had promised the nation of Israel. And we're told while David was there, him and his men would go out and raid and attack the enemies of Israel, come back to Ziglag in the land of the Philistines, and tell Achish, the king, give him some things, and tell him that we've been raiding the Israelites. Achish knows no different because David was very careful to make sure that there was no witnesses left. Then in chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, we're told that the Philistines have gathered for war against Israel. The only problem is, and the narrator doesn't give us an answer, we're simply told that David is supposed to come with and fight his own people. And then the narrator stops and goes on to the next story, and we're going, what happened? What happened? What's going on? Well, chapter 29 tells us what's going on. David and his 600 men join Achish, and they march preparing for battle. And the other leaders of the Philistines, the other lords, the other kings of the Philistines, notice David is among them. And and they remember David is a guy who took out Goliath. They remember that David is a guy that they sang about. Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. They remember David who's taken the heads of many Philistines. They remember this David. And they're going, why is he with us? This doesn't look good. It would only make sense that in the midst of the battle, he's going to turn on us and he's going to stand with Saul and Saul will take him back. And and Achish stands up and defends him and says, you know what, he's been honest with me for this last 16 months. But he wasn't. And so begrudgingly, Achish turns to David and says, you need to go home. And in verse 8, David turns around and says to Achish, but what have I done? And I'm going, David, shut up! God has just given you an out, finally! What are you doing? Why are you trying to get out of this?
Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Nezheb and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the woman and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinanam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Here I see David's predicament and God's gracious presence. That early morning, David leaves Jezreel and begins to march to Ziglag, which I think is Bergen, he says, is some 55 miles away. And as he's making his way to Ziglag, a long journey, you would think that they are relieved. We don't have to go fight our own nation. It's Davis who says it's, 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 it's like they escaped the lion, but they're marching towards the bear. You can just imagine as they get closer to Ziglag on the third day, they're weary, they're tired. And they begin to see in the distance the ruins of their city. And they get there and they realize that everyone, the woman, all their children, both small and great, it says, and everything they owned was carried off. It was almost like as if it was Job all over again, but only times 600. Feel the weight of the text. Pause on the text. They found it burned with fire. Their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. These were warriors. And 600 warriors weeping until they had no more strength. All that they had, all that they loved was now gone. We're told in just two simple words. Greatly distressed, right? Verse 6, David was greatly distressed. No more strength to weep. It's in that context that the men began to speak and go, it's David's fault. If David hadn't brought us here in chapter 27, verse 1, 
If David hadn't said in his heart, I shall perish one day. If David hadn't been faint in his faith. I don't know what the conversation was, but they were angry at their leader, David. And they were prepared to stone him. So here's David grieving the loss of everything. And here's David being threatened by stoning. And you can see that David is at, the, at, at, at a point where he's like, there's nowhere else to go. Israel can't save him. They're at war. The Philistines can't save him. They're at war. The Amalekites have taken his family. Where is he to go? And then there's this little phrase. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? Well, next week we're going to dive into that a little bit more and we're going to notice that what David does is he, he actually prays. James tells us when we, when we suffer, we're to pray. David does that. So that's part of it. But what does it mean David strengthened himself in the Lord? Chapter 23. Similar phrase is brought up. Remember when Jonathan came to visit David in chapter 23 and in verse 17, Jonathan said to him, to David, do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find, find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And we're told before that in verse 16, this is how he strengthened his hand in God. How did David strengthen himself in the Lord? There was no Jonathan. There was no... There was no other soldier that could come alongside him. All 600, they were, many of them were prepared to stone him. He was all alone. What did he do? I think what he did is instead of telling himself, as he did in chapter 27, verse 1, speaking to his heart, I shall perish one day, I believe in chapter 30, verse 6, He declared to himself, he preached to himself what God had said. You will be king. And although it didn't look like it, that's what God had said. Last week I took us to Psalm chapter 42 and in verse 5, and again in verse 11, the psalmist writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And he repeats it in verse 11, just in case it didn't get through our skull. He says again, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. David was like the man in Psalm chapter 1. Who meditated upon the law of God day and night. David was the man that delighted in the Word of God. 
And so when the great difficulties in life came, he was like a tree planted by waters. He prayed, and he recalled the promises of an almighty God. In the middle of all of that, God brought life. Now next week, we're going to hear the end of that story. If you want, you can cheat and read ahead. It's a good story. As David now begins to move towards becoming king. But my question for us today is, Are you a woman, are you a man that is committed to standing under the reign of God's Word? And when God says something you're willing, regardless of the cost, regardless of whether it makes sense or not, regardless of what your desires say, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to wait upon Him. I'm going to believe that what He says will, will come about. David's life, you know, ever, ever since the point when the Spirit falls upon him and we first notice his name, David, in chapter 16, his life is is hard. He's on the run. He has to leave family. It's not like life is all of a sudden great because the Spirit of God falls upon him. It's it's difficult and it's hard and 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 that's the path to the kingdom. That's the path Jesus took. His was a path of great suffering as well. And the truth be told, that's really the path of the believer. Are we prepared to follow Him? Are we prepared to trust Him? Are we prepared to hear His Word and turn to Him in faith? Let's pray. Lord, truth be told there's not a one of us in this room who deserves your grace and your mercy each of us are in a predicament but father the reality is you because of your providential care and because of your presence lord because of your grace allowed us to come before you to come to you we are weary and broken and father you've allowed us to come help us lord to trust you help us to strengthen ourselves in you father help us to stand in the rain the rain of your word lord jesus we love you thank you for your love for us 
your precious name we pray. Amen.